There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to Wired to Hunt's Rot Fresh Radio. I am Spencer Newarth, and joining me is Mark Kenyon. Mark, uh, you are now back home in Michigan, but you are fresh off a trip. How did that trip go? And give me a rundown of the deer activity that you saw. Yeah, yeah. So fresh off of public land hunt out in Idaho, chasing whitetails out there. Uh, you know, I, I will save. I'm not going to tell you whether I killed or not because the main episode, I think next week will be all about that. So I'll, I'll leave a little bit of drama out there for people, <laughs> but uh, I will tell you that it was a good hunt. We had quite a bit of activity despite a lot of hunting pressure. Um, we were, we were in deer every night, just about every night. So, um, it was interesting, a lot of interesting stories to share there. And, uh, you know, I guess the theme of these episodes, right, is, is recapping what we saw and what we're expecting. So I can tell you that I was hunting that first week of September and the biggest thing I noticed Spencer was time of movement. Um, we had temperatures, you know, in the evenings ranging from like mid seventies to mid eighties. And even in spots where I actually thought we could get away from hunting pressure and when it was cooling down in the evenings and shady way back in the cover, I, I was thinking, man, I bet you two hours before daylight, they'll be moving here. I mean, we were tight in the bedding area kind of stuff. And even then our movement was super late. Um, it was almost to a T, you know, the last 15 minutes, last 20 minutes, maybe. I think there was one night that I saw stuff, you know, 45 minutes before dark, but, but really it was an absolute last hour, last half hour of daylight kind of thing, zero movement until the very end of the day. Um, and so that was something that was noticeable. And then I did hunt some mornings and those mornings, it was kind of the opposite. It was, it was morning activity for that first hour, hour and a half, maybe it was a little bit later in the morning. So we saw some movement, but again, I was hunting really far away from the food sources way back in the cover. So it took a while for those deer to get back to me. Um, so as far as activity, that's, that's what I was seeing there in Idaho temperatures. Like I said, were, were right around average for this time of year. So there was no big fronts, you know, like we talked about last week, it was a kind of a standard week of weather across a lot of the country. And that's what I experienced. It was, it was no big fronts. It was no big precipitate precipitation events, uh, just kind of average temperatures. And I would say average activity. We saw deer every night. There was never a time when it was like, Oh my gosh, this is the best night I've ever seen. At the same point, there was never days where 
we were wondering, why are there no deer here? It was kind of what you expect in early September. Moving on food sources, um, and then mostly it was it was trying to just backtrack these deer closer and closer to their bedding areas because of because of hunting pressure. So that was that was my high level overview without giving away too many details. I'd say activity was in that like five five out of ten kind of range. Um, I guess that's kind of like what I predicted last week, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and and I wish you would give me more details on the hunt, but I'm going to let you off the hook <laughs> this week, Mark, um, because we have a really exciting episode and we have multiple yeah. we have multiple firsts on this episode of Rut Fresh. Ooh. Are you ready? What, what do you mean by first? I can't first. wait to hear. Okay. The first first that we have is we have our first ever Rut Report from Canada, uh, which ah, comes nice. to us from Clay Newcomb. The other first that we have is for the first time ever in Rut Fresh history, all four of the people that we interviewed this week were successful in their hunts. So that's why um, I, I think the meat of this episode is going to be as good as any we've had because we have four successful deer hunters on. Nice. So what you're saying is that we shouldn't ramble on too long. We should just get into the real, fresh, exciting reports? That's right. I think so. And who you're going to hear from this week is Clay Newcomb, like we just talked about, that you know from the Meat Eater podcast and Bear Grease podcast in Manitoba. And then Dylan Tramp from South Dakota, whose content you can read on Wired to Hunt's website. And then Mark Haslam from southeastwhitetail.com in South Carolina. And then we end in Nebraska with Tyler Jones from The Element. All right, cool. Well, I'm excited to hear these. I uh, I have one more question, and then I'll stop badgering you. Okay. When when is your first whitetail hunt? Are you going anywhere in September? Are you gonna hit South Dakota here soon, or what's what's going on? My season is gonna be a little bit delayed. Um, I'm, I'm gonna do my best, which is not very good at killing an elk here in September, and then I have an antelope hunt in October, and then I, I'm stacking like four hunts in like a six-week period be- between the beginning of November um, and the beginning of December, so my reports are going to be a bit delayed this year. Whew. All right, man. Well, uh, you get after those elk, get that off your mind, scratch that itch, <laughs> kill the antelope, check that box, and mm-hmm. then get back to the white tail would you that's right uh and then some reading materials this week um if if you want more than just what you're going to get on this episode we have a couple articles for hunters that are in the woods right now Uh, where to find bucks after they shed velvet from dylan tramp and then how volume hunting could save your season from andy may and then if you don't have an opener anytime soon say you're in a state like uh, michigan or illinois and you're still about a month out from being in the woods some off-season content would be from tony hansen four tools every bow hunter should own and then the best way to get bucks on trail cam without bait an article that you wrote last year mark kenyon you can find those articles just like last week in the description of the episode so click over there and you're going to get more relevant stuff for this time of year beautiful i gotta tell you spencer i read that article by tony hansen about the four tools every bow hunter should own and i felt really bad because i only owned <laughs> one out of the four <laughs> yeah and I, feel pretty I, i'm sure i can guess which one it was you own a set of allen wrenches yes <laughs> that's <Okay>. right <laughs> all right we'll skip on over uh to that article if you want to find out the three things that mark doesn't own and the four things that you should own <laughs> all right spencer that sounds like a good plan we'll talk to you next week man Looking forward to it. All right, and joining us on the line first is Clay Newcomb, who you know from Meat Eater and the Bear Grease podcast, 
who was hunting in Manitoba, now Clay in Manitoba, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? So I've been in Manitoba for the last six days, and I would rank it as a 7. We had no trouble seeing mature deer every day, but we, we're at an advantage in Manitoba where we're at in that you can see a long distance. You can see a long ways because we're hunting alfalfa fields and oat fields and wheat fields. And so, you know, you see deer from a long ways off. So the deer were moving, but the the bigger deer typically were not moving until the last 30 minutes of daylight on either side in the morning and in the evening. So, you know, we saw deer but they certainly were not moving all day. It was just kind of your typical early season feeding patterns. And you killed a buck a couple of days ago. Tell us about that setup, why the deer were traveling through that area and why you were on that spot. There's a 70 acre patch of agriculture that typically is all in alfalfa. This year, about 60 acres of it was in oats and 10 acres was in alfalfa. And they eat the oats which it's not, they weren't eating the the grass from the oat, you know, like the green part of the oats. These were dried oats that were about to be harvested, and they were actually eating the seed heads of these oats. But they preferred the alfalfa, so there was only 10 acres of alfalfa, and it was kind of tucked back in this little pocket. And in the morning time, we couldn't get on the alfalfa because we'd spook deer, but they had a peculiar exit route where these deer were traveling about a half mile through open country and coming right past a little neck of woods. And it was an obscure place, but just historical patterns. We just knew the deer cross there and it's real easy to get in. You don't bump any deer. You climb up in a tree. You think, what the heck am I doing here? And then as soon as it gets daylight, you, you see deer coming towards you. Typically, you know, some percentage of the time, that's the exit route they use. Some percentage of the time you don't see deer at all from there. But um, the two mornings we hunted it, we had bucks in bow range just after legal light. And basically the second time we hunted in there, I had a deer come by that that I watched for several hundred yards and he came right into bow range coming off of alfalfa. Now, how did your morning setups differ from your evening setups? Very different in that where, where we were hunting, we could not get on the food in the morning without bumping deer. And so in, in the evening time, we were right on the food. We were basically playing the wind. Just imagine a rectangular field, 10 acres, and the deer were – where they came into the field was a gamble. It could be many different places, but we would hunt the most favorable side. We were using tree sticks and saddles, and then – we actually eventually were sitting in a box stand that was on the property set up for rifle hunting because we watched deer feed within bow range of it all one evening. So we were flipping from end to end um, hunting this field. And uh, we never, that strategy never came to fruition because we ended up killing one in the morning off of the field as they were going back to bedding from the food source. But uh, so we were on the food in the evening and then hunting travel corridors, going back into bedding in the mornings. The buck that you killed was hardhorn, but what percentage of the rest of the whitetails you were seeing were still in velvet? I would say 80% were in velvet on September 1st. That was the first day of our hunt. 
was September 1st. And yeah, eight of 10 bucks would have had velvet. And it seemed to me like the more mature deer were the ones that were, that had shed and were hard horned. I would, you know, we quit hunting after we killed the deer. So we were done hunting by September the 3rd. But I would suspect by next week, it'll probably be opposite of that. I would imagine 80% will be hard. 20 to 30 percent will still be in velvet it sounds like a lot of the activity that you were seeing were bachelor groups traveling together did that change at all during your six days there did you see those bachelor groups break up at all or were they still together the same way the first day as it was the last okay i saw no change in the way they operated but it was surprising to me because there were there were bachelor groups of younger deer that stuck together pretty tight but the big deer He was all on his own. Like he, one day we watched him walk a half mile across an open field by himself to come into the alfalfa to meet a younger bachelor group of deer. Um, We also would see the odd, just young two-year-old buck off by himself that would come into the alfalfa. So it's kind of like they congregated all night together and then four or five or six might bed together but the odd one would just spike out by himself and, and, and not be with that group for the majority of the day. So they, they were kind of broke up more than I anticipated they would be. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Manitoba? I think it'll, I think it'll maintain in that 7 range of what I said. It's just going to keep getting cooler the, there are crops being harvested right now that is affecting deer movement, but uh, the green the green stuff is going to be good um, probably even more after the frost with, uh, with the green stuff that is cold tolerant like wheat and alfalfa. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to continue to be really good, especially in the next week before the bachelor groups really break up. I think after about September 15th through about October 15th, October 15th, October 20th up there, it gets a little bit harder. But right now they're just really predictable on these kind of late summer patterns, you know. So I, next week would be a fantastic week up there, I think. All right, Clay, congrats on the successful hunt. Thanks for joining me and good luck with the rest of your fall. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate it. All right, and joining us on the line next is Dylan Tramp, whose articles you can read on Wired to Hunt, who is hunting in South Dakota. Now, Dylan, in South Dakota, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Scale of 1 to 10, I think I think we're still hanging on to about an 8. The uh, bucks are kind of, the bucks that are unpressured, I should say, are kind of sticking to their summer feeding patterns and are, are definitely still moving that last hour of light. So I, I think we're a solid 8 still. Now, back on August 23rd, you wrote an article for Wired Hunt that was about how to kill a whitetail buck on opening day. You did not kill a buck on opening day this year, but you killed a buck on the second day of the season. Tell us about that hunt and how that went down. Um, well, yeah, just a little bit of summer scouting went into play, but uh, knew his general area and uh, had a really good idea. Didn't have confirmation of his bedding, but knew within a 100-yard radius roughly where his bedding would be. So I slipped in between the bedding and his food source on day one of season, evening hunt, 
and uh, had an encounter, but the wind got a little swirly. Setup wasn't perfect. Penny busted me, but returned two hours later, so he wasn't overly spooked. So I just I knew where he was going to end up the next day, hopefully, and, and that he wouldn't shift his pattern too dramatically. And about 15 minutes prior to dark, he shows up right on script and stuck an arrow in him. Now, it was clearly no accident that you were in that area hunting that specific buck. Tell us about the scouting that went into that and the kind of encounters that you had leading into opening day. Yeah, I started my whitetail scouting here in the Black Hills of South Dakota uh, mid-July. I don't remember the date, but just checked my usual areas, did some glassing, did some looking from the roads, and then stomped around a few new areas that, that looked like they had potential. Found this guy, kicked him out of his bed about 11 o'clock, um, knew right exactly where he was bedding that day, and he ran uh, to a different piece of uh, forest service and kind of adjusted his bedding area, but he was still within 200 yards of there. And then I would say six, seven times throughout the month of uh, July into August, saw him feeding in the same uh, creek drainage and had a, a mowed pasture on some private and then a bunch of oaks that I think they were targeting. They were feeding in the, the grasses and hitting the oaks. I don't know if the acorns from last year or if it was new, newly fallen oaks but uh, or acorns. But he was pretty consistent there, so I knew roughly bedding and I knew uh, pretty precisely feed in the evening. So had a pretty full picture on what to do for opening day. The buck that you killed was hard horned, but what percentage of other whitetails that you were seeing were still in velvet? Um, I think as soon as the season started, September 1, I don't know that I've seen a single buck in the hills on the hoof uh, in velvet anymore. So I think 90 some percent are definitely hard horned right now. How about with bachelor groups? How many whitetail bucks were you seeing that were still hanging out with other whitetail bucks? 90% I'd say. Every buck that I had been targeting and, and watching over the summer was still hanging out with his bachelor group up until just a few days ago. Now, what other food sources besides the mowed pasture that you were kind of hunting do you think are relevant right now in the Black Hills? Uh, from what I'm seeing, just doing some continued scouting for family, they're, they're still hitting uh, grasses. But any kind of bushes that are any kind of uh, greenery that's kind of starting to change appears to be pretty palatable right now because they're hanging out in kind of that north-facing, heavily vegetated brush. They're, they're liking that right now on top of the grass. And do you notice those beds or food patterns change as we get into October in the Black Hills, or does it largely stay the same as what you're seeing in September? And I think these deer, since they're such big foragers, I think their food sources are pretty consistent. So I would expect that pattern to continue, and then maybe once all the uh, leaves have fallen, then they'll probably, probably be exclusively uh, grasses and uh, maybe some acorns from here and there. But I think the pattern stays pretty consistent as far as what they're feeding, and it's more or less dictated by hunting pressure. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in South Dakota? In South Dakota in general, I, I would say we're still hanging on to a 7. Buck patterns will still stay consistent here for maybe another week or so until bachelor groups are breaking up and bucks are kind of establishing their new uh, their new pecking order and kind of their new little core area. So I, I think we'll still be at a seven. All right, Dylan, congrats again on the awesome buck. Thanks for joining me and good luck with the rest of your fall. Thank you. You too.
All right, and joining us on the line next is Mark Haslam from southeastwhitetail.com in South Carolina. Now, Mark, in South Carolina, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Spencer, I would say the past week in South Carolina, uh, buck activity has probably been somewhere around a 3 and somewhere around a 3 to 4 scale. Um, it 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 um it was a lot higher when the season opened August 15th. Um, we see a lot more mature bucks still on that summer pattern, but it's almost like clockwork that about that third, fourth week in August, um, they start to slow down coming out in daylight hours, uh, start to shift out of that summer pattern. And by the time that fourth week in August rolls around, velvet start to peel for most bucks and um, they are decreasing daylight act- activity. And we're now in that lull period between velvet season and pre-rut well mark you just killed a great buck in south carolina tell us about that setup why you were in that area and why that buck was in that specific area so yesterday morning that that hunt worked out i can honestly say it worked out exactly how i had mapped out in my head the night before and waking up at 4 a.m typically it doesn't, doesn't work that way it hadn't worked that way all season since the opener since the opener i've been hunting over um, food sources, destination food sources. Since then, since since we're in that lull period, what I decided to do is set up um, outside a good bedding site that I know where bucks traditionally bed. It's a clear cut on the edge of a Carolina Bay. It's about four years. It was clear cut about four years ago, replanted, and it's very thick and dense, and it's, it's tall enough to shade out the sun, and mature deer will bed in there uh, during the heat of the summer. So I knew traditionally they, they bed in this area. And, um, you know, being in this lull period right now, you don't really know when – you don't know how often bucks are going to get up and move early enough in the evenings to possibly get on them. I don't know if they're going to move, you know, three or four days a week early. But what I do know is the temperatures, the lowest temperatures you're going to have every single day is at night. And so – bucks they might not get up they might not start moving before the sun goes down but they're going to be out out middle of the night unless it's unless there's a torrential downpour or some heavy fog they're going to be feeding all night and they're going to they're going to book it back to make make it to their bedding right before uh first light so i went in about an hour before uh sunrise got set up in uh, about 25 year old pine stand that had been thinned Several times had been burned, so it was good open woods for me to be able to see, uh, you know, two and three hundred yards any which direction. But uh, with that with that TSI work, um, the the vegetation's a foot to three feet tall, so deer feel comfortable in it. And I was about a couple hundred yards from that bedding site that I know bucks traditionally bed in, and it happened. I happened how I envisioned. Um, I think first light was at 6:38, and I think I shot by 6:55. I had three bucks that came in, small bachelor group. The buck I shot it looked like a two-year-old, and then a spike that was behind it. They were all hard horned, and they were going right back to bedding right at first light. I know you've had a lot of success in the past hunting mornings in early season. I feel like you have a different mindset when it comes to those setups than other hunters. Tell us about what you like about hunting mornings in August and September. What I like about hunting mornings is, is, is 
it could, it'll continue on what I just said is that the coolest pe- people get hung up on temperatures. The coolest part of every single day is going to be overnight. And so, like I said, bucks might not get up and start, might not start moving until like 2 a.m., but they're going to be feeding, moving around all night. Um, and then I've had a lot of success climbing and being mobile outside bedding. Um, you know, if you can get on some bucks around the opener, you can catch them on that summer schedule. But I feel like pretty quickly, mature bucks, you know, everyone in South Carolina is not, is not hunting that early. But what happens is I think some hunters don't, don't really connect the dots is that, um, the full season hunting either, either sex opens up September 15th, but most people are hunting late, late September or at least the first of October when like pre rut and rut starts to kick off. So this time of year, early September, hunters might not be out there taking the woods on the stand, but they're doing um, property work. They're planting food plots, running trail cameras, hanging stands, trimming, trimming roads, bush hogging. So their, their presence is there right now. And, um, deer pick up on that and so um the most of the success i've had early season has been climbing and being mobile and you've got to as far as wind because in the in the with the warmer temperatures we have down here in the south wind can swirl and it can be very very inconsistent unless we have a cold front but if you can get tight on bedding uh with good wind you can catch bucks moving back right there at first light um, and it's going to be about the first 30 minutes. That's really going to be about it. It's, it's going to be very quick. But um, if you if you try to be too aggressive and to hunt that way in the evenings, you're probably going to blow the area out because you're going to have a lot of ton of does and a ton of young bucks that are going to wind you and um, are going to blow the mature bucks out that aren't moving that early. What food sources do you think are relevant for whitetail hunters right now in that part of the country? Peanuts, soybeans are killer. Uh, corn, corn's good as well. Uh, it just depends on, uh, you know, if it's if it's farm corn, they probably, you know, they're not going to cut it. They're not going to bush hog, bush hog shooting lanes for you, so it's going to be very tight. Most of the corn has already been harvested because we've had some dry weather and the corn's dry enough, but soybeans and peanuts right now are killer. Um, what I've noticed is not many mature bucks have been coming out on those ag fields um, in the evenings and un, until late. So, so what I've been focusing on and what I focused on yesterday morning for that hunt was the food source and the timber. Um, and I, as I mentioned before, if you hunt on ground the southeast, whether you're the property owner or maybe it's even public land or, or you know the timber company, if they're doing any kind of timber stand improvement, if they're if the pine trees have reached at least 15 years or more, it's probably ready for a first thin. If they've been thin, if they've been burned, if you don't have food plots or ag fields, take a look at that native vegetation. Take a look at the at the briars, American beautyberry, all those plants. Take a look at them, watch them, look for browse line, and look for that native vegetation. Because with all this killer rain we've had all summer, there are so much green, very tender, succulent plants out there where deer, they're, they're going to hit those areas from bedding and going to those destination food sources that are wide open fields that they're probably not going to hit until later in the evenings. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in South Carolina? It, 
it will begin, Spencer, to slow, slowly pick up. This upcoming week could be a five, maybe maybe pushing to a six. Um, I'm still seeing some bucks in bachelor groups. We'll start to see um, a lot more separate themselves. Um, I saw a good amount of scrapes and some fresh rubs. I didn't do too much walk in the woods because I don't want to blow the woods up. Um, but our pre-rut is going to start kicking off in about week the week three and week four of September. Um, I had two young bucks that were sparring Saturday morning, and I will routinely get them uh, in some sparring, light light fighting um, that third, fourth week in September. So bucks are going to be out. They're going to be hitting those community uh, signposts, making their making their presence known, socializing establishing and making sure they know that uh, dominant buck hierarchy and we're going to start to see more and more buck activity taking place. And they're going to start to show up back on those destination food sources um, in about two to two to three weeks. Towards the end of September, these mature bucks are going to start showing up in these fields and food plots, making their presence known, showing themselves, making sign, and um, as they Prepare is that testosterone flares, and they're and we're on the cusp of uh, that first heat cycle. All right, Mark, great intel, great buck. Thanks for joining me, and good luck with the rest of your fall. Thanks, Spencer. Good luck this season. All right, and joining us on the line last is Tyler Jones from the Element, who was hunting in Nebraska. Now, Tyler, in Nebraska, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to ten? Probably a five. Um, there was times when deer or bucks in particular were moving uh kind of late in the morning which may be due to cool weather and then there were times in the evenings where i saw deer moving pretty late as well now i know you just had a successful hunt and there was a great buck that you killed tell us about that setup why you were in that spot and why that buck was in that spot sure um so you know for one the buck was in that spot because it was very remote um, and hard to get to I don't uh, try to he-man it too much, but I do like to um, kind of observe the situation. As we got later in the hunt, I started seeing that uh, bucks uh, in particular and deer were kind of scarce um, near near the roads. A lot of that stuff was getting hit. Uh, there was quite a few people out there in the area hunting, and um, so I, I think that I just decided, well, as it gets later in the hunt, you got to you know, you don't have an opportunity to kill a deer uh, close to the road as, as easily. So ended up going back into a remote section that had, uh, was pretty steep, really. That was another thing, you know. Um, and then on top of that, the, the deer movement was somewhat predictable due to crop fields that were uh, several hundred yards away as well. What were the crop fields that you were focused on on that hunt? <clears throat> you know, I actually never saw the, what I assumed was corn, but um, it was on a pivot and it seemed like, uh, it, according to Onyx, it was corn in the past, um, in the last year, that being. And so, uh, I assumed it was corn. It also looked different color on the map than the other two, um, uh, small pivots that I was seeing. And those were Milo, which I've seen in the past hunt Nebraska the last couple of years that they will definitely use that Milo. I don't know if they're eating it a bunch this time of year necessarily, but they're in it a lot cause it's cover. And um, something about just agriculture in areas where there's not a lot of it, it's just like something for them to move to at night, whether it's highly preferential or not. So how far off of the food source were you actually hunting? A little over 100 yards from the Milo, 
the corn though was probably closer to a half mile away and that's and when i saw uh that evening that i shot the buck i saw two bucks i actually shot the smaller of the two that i'd seen but they were probably 45 minutes apart and neither one of them really appeared to be heading to the milo they were in the direction headed to the direction of the corn uh, but that was about as close as I could get. I didn't want to get super close to the fence line because I don't want to shoot a deer that runs onto private really and have to deal with all that. So I was probably a half mile from the corn or so. Now the buck that you killed was hard horned, but what percentage of the other whitetails you were seeing were in velvet versus not in velvet? Anything over a year and a half, um, or what I assumed was a year and a half old was hard horned pretty much everything we saw um we saw a really good deer in the headlights one night as we were driving in the first night actually as we were driving in getting really close saw a big 11 point <clears throat> he was hard horned and then everything which we didn't see a ton of bucks um i don't know if they've been hit with ehd or not i hadn't heard any reports really from that area and uh, it seemed like nebraska didn't get hit as hard with drought this year um overall as some of the other states up there but um I did have a buddy that was hunting in the area that sent me a picture of a velvet buck that was dead in near a swamp. Um, so kind of assume EHD, but maybe not. I don't want to be a fear monger, but um, everything other than the little kind of dinkers were pretty much hard horn. I was kind of surprised actually. Were a lot of the bucks that you were seeing in bachelor groups? No, it's kind of the same thing. Um, there was, it was, probably some of the biggest bucks that I saw or most, if not all the biggest bucks that I saw were pretty much in a loner state. Um, the smaller bucks seemed to be a little bit more batched. I, I hunted, um, a spot that had five bucks in the area. Um, three of them ran together and they were all like forkies or spikes pretty much. And then the other two that ran together were two, uh, looked like eight points that were kind of basket eights, um, deer that I probably would have shot, but um, there's a good chance that they were related of some sort. But outside of that, everything that we saw that looked like it was three years or older seemed to be um, already broken up from their bachelor status. Now, traditionally, a lot of hunters are hunting the mornings this time of year, but I assume, Tyler, since you were traveling out of state and you had a limited timeline, that you guys were hunting some mornings. Is that the case, and what did those setups look like? That is the case. Um, so we we got rained out one morning and not that we're afraid to hunt in the rain, but we had torrential downpour for four hours and, and 30 to 40 mile hour winds. And we just got soaked all night in the tent. So we decided to sleep in one morning. Um, but we, we tried to hunt as many mornings as possible. Um, because this time of year, I think that it can be good. Um, cause there's cooler weather. You'll get a lot of bucks that'll move later in the morning. I feel like personally, and if you can get close to what you assume is bedding, um, you can have deer come in at 8.30 or 9, 9.30 even. Sometimes if it's a cooler morning, you had a cold front come through. So we were focusing in kind of, we hunted a lot of more open country. Um, some timber stuff, you know, with that tag, we can move pretty much all over the state. And we did move quite a bit. But um, in the open stuff, we were focusing more on uh you know, stuff in the bottom of draws or around lakes or ponds um, that had willows around it and also just high vegetation because of the, um, because it has water near it, you know, and so the, you get these little pockets that have these um, really tall sunflowers and goldenrod and 
all kinds of different willows and stuff like that. Um, and it really, I mean, especially in like a small young willow thicket, those deer are getting a lot of shade during the day as much as they need, really. They've got water there and then they can move out to hay meadows or whatever at night. And so we were focusing in the mornings on those little kind of islands or habitat pockets near uh, lakes or, or ponds or, you know, cattle tanks or whatever. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Nebraska? I think it's going to depend on the weather a little bit, and I uh, kind of have unplugged from the weather out there, so I'm not sure what that looks like. But I would assume if the weather stays pretty stable to what it's been, which was kind of low to mid-80s, I would assume that it just continues to uh, uh, pick up. The deer that I shot actually had some... um, little flakes of you know tree bark in his in his bases and all the burrs and stuff like not just that he had rubbed the velvet off but that he had actually been rubbing a tree as well just kind of that elevated testosterone is what gets him out of velvet and then eventually you know that just continues to rise Um, I can see that being the case I can see the cool weather and the changing of the season and the the grass is turning different colors and stuff so different things are coming into preference for the food and everything and I would assume it would stay really in that five or six range, uh, one to 10. Uh, but it could be really focused with all the pressure they've had in the first week. So you might could find a pocket and really get into some bucks. All right, Tyler, well, congrats again on the great buck. Thanks for joining me and good luck with the rest of your fall. Thanks a bunch, Spencer. Thanks for having me on again, man. And that concludes this week's episode of Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Clay, Dylan, Mark, and Tyler for joining me. And thank you guys for listening. Like I mentioned earlier, there are some reading assignments in the description of the episode on topics like where to find bucks after they shed velvet, how volume hunting could save your season, four tools every bow hunter should own, and the best way to get bucks on trail cam without bait. Those are some really good articles for some really good hunters, and I think anybody who likes whitetail will find value in that content. I hope you give them a read before our next episode, and until then, stay wired to hunt. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.